Thanks so much for being here on this uh, Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, by the way. If you're a father, would you just stand for me? I know you love this. Come on, come on. You're happy to be a dad. Come on. Yeah, let's give him a hand. Oh, man. Yeah, way to go, way to go. I don't know what you did, but you, it's, it's great. It's fantastic, and I'm happy for you. Um, so, yeah, this is a, a great day to be, to be honored. Thank you, uh, Hallmark. So, um, in any case, uh, yeah, so um, we planted a church in Silverton. I've been out there for the last two weeks. Some of you might have been like, is he coming back? Because uh, I don't know, I, uh, but I, I have heard great things. Brian Bradley, uh, one of our elders, a pastor, he's our, uh, also our, the guy who's overseeing youth and stuff. He has done a phenomenal job preaching the last couple of weeks um, and, uh, and whatnot. So we'll be doing a little bit of a shuffle with, with preaching um, as we're planting this church in Silverton. I, I just want to tell you, if you've been a part of Outward Church for, for some time, like it looks different right now. It looks different because we just, uh, I, I thought we were going to lose about 30 to 50 people. It's about 80 to 100 that, that left our church. And these were not just any people. These were uh, amazing servants of God along with many of you. And, uh, but let me just tell you uh, that we might feel some pain here because we need more volunteers and uh, need folks to fill in, in places. But this is what God has called folks to fill in, in places to do. Like the greatest way to evangelize, the greatest way to share the message of Jesus is through the planting of churches, new churches in new areas. And as we uh, started this church the first week, I got to preach out there. That was exhilarating. It was amazing. I'm in a barn. There's two sides of it that are open. And I mean, it was so stinking cool. You should have been there. Don't go there. We don't have any more room there. It's full. I mean, 200 and... 30-some-odd people have been going to that church uh, now, uh, probably 80 to 100 from here, and then 100 and whatever. I don't do math well, but uh, you get the point. And so uh, with lots of people out there, and I had person after person come up to me and say, thank you so much for planting this church. We have needed this here. Now, I, that's not to say that there aren't um, uh, a handful of, of good churches out in Silverton, Oregon. There are, and probably other areas as well. But they believed that this, was, that this was an additional church that needed to be planted there. I got to talk with some guys um, that have been part of, a part of a, another, um, I, I don't want to give too much details, but another not great place to go, uh, not a great church to be at. And I got to speak with these guys about what the grace of Jesus Christ is in a way that they'd never experienced. And it was so freaking cool. I just have to tell you that it's worth the pain. It's worth the, the difficulty. And God is calling us to do more. God is calling us uh, to plant more churches body here. God is doing something amazing in our midst. And I'm so glad that you're here. And if you're sitting on the sidelines, you're going to be in, invited in soon. <laughs> if you haven't already, um, I'm, I'm praying that you would step up, be counted and serve even in things that feel like um, they're difficult, they're hard, um, that kind of stuff. Obviously, we're at one service right now through the, the summer. All of that could change. Not sure 
why we have so many people here on a, on a Father's Day uh, morning. That's fantastic. We're excited about that. We'll see what the rest of the summer looks like, but I believe that God's going to bless this church in Salem, and we can passionately get behind gathering and serving together in order to allow the Sunday morning service to happen. Every, uh, not everything rises and falls on Sunday morning, but it's a big stinking deal because people, when they say, you know what, I want to know more about God or I'm in a bad place. You know what they do? They come to church on Sunday morning and we get a chance to preach the gospel to them. And so I'm praying that you would be a part of that. That would be amazing. And the way that you can do that is fill out a connection card. You can do that online or there. I don't know where we put those today. I should have figured this out before I got up here, but they're definitely out at Connect Central and you can sign up out there. And so we'd, we'd love to see that happen. This morning, we're in the book of Galatians again. And part of the reason why we're in the book of Galatians is because we need a refresher course on what the gospel is. What is the good news? The good news of our culture is this, that you can have pride over your sin. Just be prideful about it and everything is fine. The good news of our culture is, you know what? God just wants you to be happy. The good news of our culture is you should do exactly what you want to do and make everyone else believe and tell them and shout them down until they say, yes, you're right, yet that you are doing what you should be doing. The good news of the gospel is I am more sinful than I thought that I actually was, but I'm actually way more loved than I could ever possibly imagine, according to Timothy Keller. And so the gospel is the good news. And so what we want to do here at Outward Church is to help us understand, to get back to a place where we're understanding the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how our lives and our, our Christian life, how our lives change and are radically transformed as a result of this gospel message. The, the gospel isn't just the beginning of your Christian life. It's not just the ABCs, it's the A to Zs. It is all of the Christian life. When you live in, when you eat, breathe, drink, smoke uh, the gospel, then you, I don't even get a laugh for that, come on. We're in Oregon, We're, oh gosh, all right, never mind, all right, fine, you can be like that. Uh, when you live, eat, breathe, and yes, even smoke the gospel, in your life, you take it in, you inhale it. It changes you radically, like it has Paul. The Apostle Paul is somebody who has been radically changed by the gospel. And he's writing this letter to the church in Galatia, which he planted. And he started them out in the gospel, and then they began to include other things in that. Let me tell you something. Most churches, most church people add to the gospel in such a way that it turns it into not a gospel. The Apostle Paul says, if anyone, including me, the Apostle Paul says, if anyone preaches to you a different gospel, let him or her, whoever it is, be accursed. He's very serious. He's very, very serious about this, and he wants you and I to know what the gospel is because it's absolutely critical. And my question to you is, have you believed the gospel? Have you believed the gospel in its fullness, or have you been sitting on the sidelines? Have you, have you received have you Have you Jesus Christ as your Savior, or are you going on believing 
that somehow I'm just going to be a good person. I'm going to be a nice person. I'm going to go to church. Or maybe this is your first time at church. And you're saying, maybe I need a little bit of church. Or maybe somebody drug you here. Maybe your family said, you know what? It's Father's Day. We want you to do something on Father's Day. And so now you're here and you're stuck with me talking to you. I'm so sorry. I'm but maybe you believe that somehow you can add something to your life that makes you whole, that makes you into a person that is going to be a better person. And so therefore, that's why you believed it. Paul has some, some words. There were people in Paul's day that were his enemies. They came in after he planted the church and they said, you know what? It's not, uh, it's, it's, it's not Jesus and his substitutionary, meaning he's a substitute for you, you should have died on that cross. It's not that that saves you. It is through circumcision. It is through following all of these other ceremonial laws that were from the Old Testament, the beginning of Judaism, the religion of God, Yahweh. All of these rules, all of these religions, when Jesus, or all of these uh, uh, laws and, and, and purity and, and how, what you're supposed to eat, what you can't eat, all of that stuff, these people were saying, you need to continue doing that in order to be saved. You need to be a good person. Most of America, and, 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 and I would say even most of the world, believes that you need to be a good person in order for God to accept you. And Paul comes in and he says, that's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And anybody that tells you is accursed. That's what Paul is speaking against. And so what he gets into here this morning is he begins to tell his own story. And he's, and he's trying to prove a point. And the point is this. He's, he's, try, he's trying to say that this message that he has, the gospel, is not from man. It's not from him. It's not from anybody else. It came straight from God by showing that he was a religious fanatic who was radically changed and that this was completely out of the view, out of the teaching, removed from the other apostles. Why is he saying that? It might, might seem confusing to you. Why is he talking like this? When you're reading the scriptures, this may be helpful for you. When you're reading a letter, this is a letter to some people in a town called Galatia. The way that we know what his enemies were saying is that he's responding to what they said. He's responding. So we can infer from that and have a fairly good idea as to what their accusations were against Paul. And so their accusations are, the central accusation is basically this. You dreamed this up, and perhaps uh, the apostles and you guys all got your story straight. You came up with something that's totally against Old Testament law, that's totally against that, and as a result, you guys are, your message is wrong. So the apostle Paul says, no, look at my life, look at my story, look at what has happened to me. Look at what has taken place. So what's your story? Where are you at in life? What's been going on in, in your head, in your heart, in your life? What's been taking place? Do you, I mean, maybe think for just a second while I'm talking here, like what, what's your story been like? Hurt, pain, ways that you've hurt other people, ways that you've inflicted pain, ways that you've perhaps even denied God by saying, I got all this stuff. I made that money. What do I need God for? Well, if he's the creator, 
He gave you that stuff. Ways that you've denied God, ways that you've, you've walked away from him, ways that you've been alienated from him. What's your story? The Apostle Paul's about to tell us his story. And really what I want to get down to with you is this. Have you been convinced? Number one, there's a lot of people in the church today that have been convinced. Yeah, God is real. Jesus is true. Everyone else is a liar. Being convinced is one thing, but have you been convicted? Martin Lloyd-Jones asked this in a sermon. This is how you know that you've been called. This is how you, you know that you've been saved. Have you been convinced, and not just convinced, but have you been convicted? Look at the life of Paul with me. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Why does he say that? He's saying that because he's saying, if, if I was trying to make people happy with, what, with the, the message, the good news, the good news would not be that man is sinful and hopelessly lost without salvation through Jesus Christ. That's not the message that I'm going to bring. That's not what I'm going to come and tell everybody. If I'm trying to make you happy, I'm speaking for myself here, if I'm trying to make you happy because you came to church for the first time this morning, or because you, you want to start going to church, is, is the best message that I can dream up one that says you're more sinful than you think you are? You are hopelessly lost. You cannot save yourself. Is that really the message that I'm going to bring to you? Is that really what I'm going to say? Because if, if I'm going to come up with something, if, if, I'm, if I'm going to say something to you that's going to inspire you, that's going to give you seven steps to an amazing marriage, that's going to give you 37 steps to financial security, that's going to get, if I'm going to really make you happy, I'm going to give you self-help psychology I'm going to give you a TED talk. It's going to be short. This sermon's probably not going to be short or self-help. It's not going to. I'll, I'll just tell you right now. It's not going to. I didn't want to leave you hanging there. If, it, if, if I want to make you happy, am I going to tell you that? Or am I rather going to tell you, you are the hero of your own story? That's a real popular message today. It's on the wall of a coffee shop downtown. You're the hero. You're the greatest thing that ever was. You're amazing. The gospel begins with the reality of, I'm not the hero, but there is a hero. You're the hero of your own story. Rather than living in, sexual, in shame for your sexual sins, you should take pride in your sin. God just wants you to be happy. Those are the messages of our culture. Paul says, uh, if I dream this up, why am I telling you the exact opposite of what you want to hear? Holy cow! Guess what? If I am seeking the approval of the people that sit in the pews, I would not give you this message. Uh, praise God, I don't care what you think that much. <laughs> Some of you aren't laughing. Um, <laughs> why would I make this up? Things haven't gotten easier for Paul. They've gotten harder. They're more difficult. He goes to prison. He gets beat up. 
Stoned to death. Has to, or he did not stoned to death, but lots of bad things happened to him. The Apostle Paul. Things have gotten worse for him. Why would I make this up? That's his first proof that I'm telling you the truth. Secondly, he says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, that's, that seems like a, a crazy claim right there. Again, if you're trying to convince people uh, of some type of uh, you know, new way of thinking or, or what have you, I don't know that you would start with the supernatural and say, I, I, I had this supernatural experience. I think you might begin with, you know what? I considered all the philosophers. I looked at all of this stuff. I have looked at all of the world religions, and I found that they all have this one thing in common. And this one thing in common is what, whatever it is. And so therefore, I'm bringing you a new teaching of how you're the hero, how you don't have to feel bad about your sin or anything like that. No, the Apostle Paul says, no, I didn't learn it from anybody. No one told me it. I didn't dream it up on my own. It was revealed to me. How was it revealed to him? If you look in the book of Acts, you don't need to turn there. In the book of Acts, we need to look at the life of Paul. His name was not Paul to begin with. His name was Saul. In the book of Acts chapter 7, what we have is a, is a guy by the name of Stephen who's doing these amazing works, and, and he's... he's He's a disciple, and he is uh, helping people. He's serving. He's, he's doing all kinds of things. He's making the religious people mad. He's making Paul, whose previous name was Saul, mad. And Saul is introduced to us in chapter 7, verse 58, and it says, they cast him out of the city. That is Stephen, who was the disciple, and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul is standing there, and he's like, hey, guys, I'll watch your jacket while you go kill that guy. I got, I got this. All right, yeah, you go ahead. <laughs> go throw that stone. This dude is an accessory to murder. He's not a good guy. We keep going. Uh, chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. And then it says in chapter 8, verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church. And so that was going on. And then one day, Saul says, he goes to the high priest and he asks him for letters. This is in chapter 9, verse 2. Asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that if they found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached uh, Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Whoa, that's crazy. Like, that's a, that's a crazy story. Like, no doubt, Paul has told this story. Like, listen, I didn't come up with this on my own. I was walking. I was on my way to go arrest people, put them into prison, to see them killed. I want nothing more than for these people to die. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes out of nowhere and says, hey, guess what? You're persecuting me. You're tearing down my church. So when he says... I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, it comes to light like Jesus 
stops him in his tracks. Have you ever been stopped in your tracks by Jesus? Or did you just need a little bit of morality? Do you think you are your own morality? What's your story? Have you been convinced and convicted? The Apostle Paul was immediately brought to the the moment of conviction because Jesus came out of nowhere, appeared to him, and changed everything. He received this message by a revelation of Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And as he goes on, it says in chapter 9 in Acts, in verse uh, 19, halfway through verse 19, it says, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the son of God. The guy has a miraculous transformation on the road to Damascus. There's more to the story there. He's brought into the fold. People lay hands on him. He spent some time with these disciples in Damascus, and he was immediately preaching Jesus, saying, he is the Son of God. Are you convinced that Jesus is the Son of God? That's what I should ask. So he goes on, and it says in verse 22 of chapter 9 in Acts, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He sat there teaching over and over again. He's ticking off his former buddies, his former thugs that were after Christians, and that's what he's doing. Why would I make this up? Saul, now Paul says, why would I do that? He was radically transformed. He says this in verse 13, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism. You just heard about his former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was, I was after them. I wanted it to go away. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. The Apostle Paul is now given some context He's saying, I got this revelation that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and it changed everything for me. You know about my former way of life? I was a, a, a religious fanatic. I was totally against this. I was absolutely and completely against this. I violently went after those people. I wanted them dead. Literally wanted them dead. Tell me, who does that? How does that happen? That one day I'm going this direction, and then the next day I'm going the completely different direction. It's complete change in this guy's life. And he has no problem boasting about his flaws. Do you see what's happening here? It's not just that he was changed. It's that he's not even hiding who he was before. He says, 
You've heard of my former life, how I persecuted the church violently. Let's put your story in there for a second. Let's put my story in there. If somebody knew me and they knew me really well, I might say to them, you remember who I was? You remember who I was before I, I, I really feel like God got a hold of my life? Some of you were raised in the church. You received Christ when you were like five or six or seven. That's blurry for you as to when that happened. I still believe God saves it at young ages, but I believe that something miraculous happens later on in life when you make a full decision of your own accord, and that's what happened to me. And I, and, I, and I remember my former way of life. I remember that space between my decision to follow Jesus and I, I remember when I actually started following Jesus and plugging into who he was. I remember my former way of life. I remember what took place there. I remember the only thing that I wanted was to build big buildings in construction. I remember that all that I wanted was to look like a bad butt Guy. It's church, all right? It's church. I wanted to be a guy. I, 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 I wanted to be seen as macho. I wanted to be seen as, you're not going to mess with me. You hit me, I'm going to hit you harder. You remember my former way of life? You remember who I was? How I persecuted the church violently, the church of God violently, and tried to destroy it. Most of us don't think of our sin that way. Most of us don't think about our life that way. Paul quite literally was persecuting the church of God, the initial beginnings of the church post the resurrection and ascension of Christ. Most of us wouldn't think about it in that way, but the truth is my sin put him on the cross. When he goes to the cross, he goes to the cross for my sin. When he went to the cross, I should say. When he went to the cross, he went for my sin. Don't you see the violence in it? Do you see the violence? Do you see the pain? Do you see the anguish of what the Son of God, the Christ, had to go through for your sin? You've heard of my former life in, in, in whatever it was, how I Put Jesus on the cross with my sin. Could you say it to yourself? You've heard of my former way of life, how I was this, and maybe you're still in the midst of it. I see my way of life, and I see how I am putting Jesus on that cross. How I'm trying to destroy. As much as I think that I'm trying to not destroy but build up, and perhaps you're in a place where you're like, Yeah, I've been trying to build up my family. I've been trying to make a way for myself. And what seems to happen is it's destroying things. It's causing destruction. Sin always progresses and it always takes us down roads we do not want to go. You've heard of my former way of life, how I did this and my sin put him on the cross. And how my way of life has just led to destruction. The only way that you can be convinced and convicted is if you can see yourself in these words. 
You've heard of my former way of life, how I did this, how I've been destroying. And perhaps you were advancing. The Apostle Paul was advancing in Judaism beyond many of his own age. This guy, uh, he was an overachiever. He was a young man. If you saw that in Acts, the book of Acts, he's a young man. He's standing there. He says, I'll watch your jacket for you while you kill that guy. He was a dude that was looked up to. He was one of those. He was, I always hated those people. I, I hope you're not one of them, but just always good at what they're doing. Always, you know, just they can get this done and they can get that done. You know, they just, they get out of, out of school and they're immediately like making money and they're like, they're, they, you know, they just have this beautiful family and they, you know, got, got new cars and stuff like that. The Apostle Paul was that guy. He was advancing beyond many people of his own age and he was seen as somebody that was uh, an amazing guy. Perhaps you've been advancing, but maybe it's not advancing in things that the world looks on as positive. Maybe you've been advancing in your addictions. Maybe you've been advancing in uh, driving a, a, a larger wedge between you and your spouse. Maybe you've been advancing in ways that you know that you shouldn't be involved. Maybe you've been advancing in that. But maybe you're also, you've also been kind of a, a good person like Paul who had, had, you're buttoned up, you got stuff together, you, you've been advancing. Paul says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many people of my own age. He says, zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He says, I, I, I was after the way that I was taught. And although he's talking about Old Testament Judaism, with the ceremonial laws, he's a Pharisee. He's, I mean, this guy is a, he's a churchman. He's a, he's a dude that's been involved in the church. And he's a, and, and he is uh, extremely zealous for the traditions of his fathers. Many of us are zealous for the traditions of our fathers. The scriptures talk about how the sin of the father is passed down. And I believe it's passed down in ways that we just absorb as we're kids. So maybe you're advancing, maybe you're zealous for the tradition of your actual father. But maybe you're like, I don't want anything to do with my actual father, so I've got th this person that I'm following after. Or I've got this celebrity, or I've got the way of the world, or I've got whatever it is, but somehow extremely zealous for something. Everybody's zealous for something. It may be laziness and laying on the couch and not going to work, but you're zealous for some tradition that you learned. And the apostle Paul says, I was so entrenched. I was in this stuff. Why is he saying that? How is it possible that one day I'm going that direction, the next day I'm going this direction? It's because I was convinced and I was convicted that I put him on that cross I was convinced and convicted that I'm the one that did this to him. I'm convinced and convicted that I had it all wrong and that Jesus is the son of God, that he is the Christ. Do you see yourself in his story? Do you see your story in his story? Because that's a big piece. That's a big piece. I want to skip the next two verses and I want to go to midway, uh, the end of verse 16, he says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. 
I, I, didn't, I didn't go to someone and say, tell me the, the truth here. He's different than us. When you become a Christian, you get discipled by somebody. That's how you grow in Christ. You hear, you hear the, the preaching of the word. You listen to uh, Christian music. It's teaching you theological things. You're being taught from someone else. It's important that the apostle Paul is not taught by anyone or he didn't consult with anyone. Because of this, the people in Galatia are saying, oh yeah, you just heard that from uh, these other guys like Cephas or Peter, and they, they're all wrong and they've all got a problem. No, what he's saying is he's saying this. Peter over here is an apostle, and he has the message of Jesus Christ. He has the gospel in its fullness. I did not talk to Peter. I did not consult with anyone. I heard it separately through a revelation straight from God. That's what he's saying. I did not consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia. Sounds like he may have gone there to just be away, to be alone with God. We don't know exactly. And he returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. That's the apostle Peter. And I remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria, Cilicia, and I was still an unknown person in, in the churches or to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. He's, he's listing off all of these things. He's saying, no one polluted this message. I got it straight from God. That's why you should believe it. That's what he's saying. And as a result, it says in verse 23, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. But there's this great transition that we skipped. Verse 15. But when he... The way towards being convinced and convicted does not begin with you turning over a new leaf. It does not begin with you somehow making some changes. It does not begin with you stopping anything. It does not begin with you starting anything. It does not begin with anything whatsoever. It only begins in this place, but when he... But when he, Paul, Paul's saying something here. He's saying, it's not something that I did. It's not something that somehow I changed. It's not something that I, I made happen. He's saying, but when he, when God moved in my life, when God did something to me, it's not something that you do for God. It's something that God does to you. And when did that happen? The Apostle Paul makes it really clear. But when he who had set me apart. But when he had set me apart, what does that mean? When God had determined that I am his. When did that happen? Why is Paul saying this? Before I was born. Paul is saying this. I had nothing whatsoever to do with the fact that I was convinced and convicted 
that Jesus is the Christ. I had nothing to do with it because it happened all the way before time began. But when he decided to do something in my life, before time began, not because I was a great person. Don't you remember where Paul was? Paul was sitting there watching everybody's jacket. Paul was ravaging, destroying the church. Paul was on his way. He's walking down the road going, I'm going to kill me some Christians. I'm going to kill me some Christians. I'm going to go beat these guys up. I'm going to go put them in prison. He was on his way. But when he had set me apart before I was born, he's saying, I had nothing to do with my faith. If you've come to Christ and you believe that you had something to do with your faith, if you come to Christ and you believe that somehow you made it happen, if you come to Christ and you say, you know what, I'll I'll come, but God, I promise I'll clean up all these things. It doesn't work that way. But when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, he he called me. His, his grace, we would call it irresistible grace, by the way. When he, how, how could you call it anything else? The apostle Paul, on his way to kill Christians. God calls him and says, boom, your life has changed. Your life is, is immediately changed. Have you been convinced and convicted of God's saving in your life. And you call me by his grace. It's not because, let me just look at that word, by his grace. How many other words could that be? He, he called me by the fact that He looked at me and he thought, you know what? I think Paul's going to turn from his murderous acts. I think he's he's probably going to change at some point, and so I'll call him. No, see, that's that's a work. That's that's, That's Paul being called because of what Paul's going to do. I mean, there's... There's many things that it could be, but it is just unmerited favor by God. Why did God save Paul? I don't know. Why don't you ask God? He called him by his grace. But most importantly, he was pleased to reveal his son to me. Ah, I mean, we could have spent the whole sermon on this. Maybe I should have. But when, he, when Paul looks at his life and he says, radical transformation took place. He looks at his life and he says, it, it wasn't because of anything that I'd done. It was but when he, it, he set me apart before I was born. I had nothing to do with it. He called me by his grace. But what is transformative in his life, what's transformative about who he is, is that he was pleased to reveal his son to me. Now, what that sounds like to me is that God had chosen Paul. And God endured 
many years of pride and arrogance in Paul's life. God endured all of this knowing that on this particular day, on that road, in that time, in that place, with those people, while he's doing that thing, he is actively against me and persecuting me. I am going to reveal to him, finally, Jesus, the Son of God. I'm going to reveal my son to Paul. Now, you may not be walking down the same Damascus road, but has Jesus, the Son of God, been revealed to you? And are you convinced and convicted? Are you convinced that he is the Son of God? And are you immediately brought into the realization that I have repeatedly and often and regularly and continue to do so, sin against him. I put him on that cross. You've heard of my former way of life. I did it to him. And you know what he did to me? He called me by his grace. He set me apart. And what he's doing through me today is what Paul says next. He says, in order that... I might preach him among the Gentiles. Listen. It's not popular to preach because it's not the world's gospel. It is, it is not fun to preach it. Our world is against us. If you believe what the scripture says about sexuality, about gender identity, if, 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 if you, if you, I'm sorry, if you believe what the, what the scripture says, I, yeah. Man, that's, that is cause for you being fired. That's cause for you to be castigated. That's not the only sin in the book. There's plenty of people that are hooking up not in that way. There's plenty of people. I mean, heterosexuality is not a blessed version of sexual sin. There's plenty of that. That's just the most obvious example right now. This is like Pride Month, isn't it? Flags waving everywhere. The gospel, the good news of the gospel says, I am hopelessly sinful. I cannot save myself. I see my former way of life. I see what's wrong with it because I see Jesus. And I need salvation from him. And today's your day. Now's the time. Do not put it off if you feel conviction at all. You must receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And I just want to tell you, I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you before you leave. I want to talk with you. I want to connect you with someone today. Please do not put it off. Give your life to Jesus Christ and find out that he already took it. What's your story? Can you put your story in that story? Can you see yourself in there? Jesus has made a way. 
He's not angry with you. He's gracious towards you. He's not upset with you. He loves you. And you're going to find out that when he had set you apart before you were born, he called you by his grace. And you're going to experience radical transformation. It may, you may not have been killing people prior, but I think you're going to see radical transformation like the Apostle Paul has. And Paul says, that's the proof of my gospel and it's the foundation of me being able to preach to people the word of God because I've been radically changed. That's what Paul says. And you will be able to radically preach the gospel. You will be able to give up of yourself in order to allow others to thrive. You will be able to serve others because you'll be radically changed. As a result, you'll care about whether people hear the gospel or not. And life will be so much different. Can we go to the Lord's table together? Just going to ask the ushers to come forward here. So here at Outward Church, we, uh, we uh, just hop up here and just grab, grab communion. We'll partake of it together. At the Last Supper, Jesus took some bread and he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body, which is broken for you. And I, I, and I want to take a second here before we partake and just ask us to think about our story. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus wants me to take bread and he wants me to see it as broken bread even though it's a whole cracker which doesn't help but he wants me, he wants sorry I shouldn't crack jokes during communion but he wants me to see that his body was broken for me I tried to destroy the Son of God with my sin. But not just in the past, it's in the present. I am still in need of His broken body for my sin. I am still in that place. Would you just take a moment and think about all the ways that you need Jesus saving for you? He's not going to re-save you. You've already been saved if you're a believer this morning. But he wants you to remember, don't let it become old hat. What do I need to ask for forgiveness for? Where are my areas of sin? 
how am I continually just thumbing my nose at the Savior of the world? And if Jesus was sitting right here right now, that's what I, th- I think, based on Scripture, what Jesus would say to you. I already knew. I already knew you were going to do that. I knew that Paul was going to kill all those people. I knew that Paul was against me, but I shed my blood for him. And just as much as I shed my blood for you, I love you so much. He says, I want you to experience my love and grace and mercy no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. He says, my body was given for you for that sin and that sin and yes even that sin and that sin he says i want you to do this in remembrance of me let's partake of the body my love for you didn't just go to my body but to my very life blood it was poured out i gave you everything i left it all on the field There's nothing more to give. I lost my life for that sin. I gave it up, and I want you to celebrate it. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus, for giving yourself for us, that we may know you. May we be convinced and convicted and receive you as Savior.